Sometimes I go into a room and forget why. Other times I have a weird twinge in my foot for no reason. I get Facebook memories I don't remember having, even though there's a picture. Once in a while, I just wake up, usually exactly one hour after falling asleep. This could all be because I'm in my 50s now, or maybe I'm the center of a vast conspiracy that uses secret advanced technology to track me and even control me. Maybe I'm a targeted individual being gang-stalked by a cabal of ne'er-do-wells intent on, well, on something, probably something not very good. Today, we look at the phenomenon of gang-stalking and TIs, targeted individuals, who are either suffering a psychotic break, have schizophrenia, or have done something to royally piss off some very powerful people who possess technology so advanced it borders on magic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Paranoia, Paranoia the Destroyer, destroyer. Gang-stalking, gang-stalking, targeted, targeted individuals, individuals, and Havana, and Havana Syndrome. Syndrome. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast, and if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. There's a red red, under under my bed, 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 and there's a little little yellow yellow man in my head. A line from the 1981 song by the King's Destroyer, which is also where this episode's title comes from. The term stalker has come to mean in modern parlance a person, let's face it, usually a man, who has been stealthily watching and following someone, usually a woman, probably for less than good purposes. It comes from a paper titled Stalking Strangers and Lovers, published in 1995. Before then, we just called those people creeps. Then, in the early noughties, some people started complaining online about being gang-stalked. That is, they were being watched and harassed not by one person, but by many people, by a group, by them. Online communities and forums are here to help, after all, and soon many people started saying that they, too, were being gang-stalked. The idea spread and became more pervasive, There was a scientific study on the phenomenon in 2015, and the New York Times wrote in 2016 that more than 10,000 people around the world were participating in this mindset via the web. By then, it had bifurcated many times, and there were many different flavors of this postmodern paranoia. Many of the victims said that they were subjected to mind control or attempted mind control, or at least hypnosis, physical ailments, break-ins to their homes, and more insidious things. 
The Alaskan radio transmitter Harp was part of the plot, as were the Gwen Towers. Black helicopters mentioned in a previous episode were seen in the sky tracking these people who now refer to themselves as TIs or targeted individuals. Some reported infiltration of their bodies by blue and red fibers placed there by persecutors known as Morgellons disease, which is also talked about in a previous episode. Some had essentially become allergic to electricity due to constant bombardment by their stalkers. Hackers were talked about as were chemtrails, as were the men in black, aliens, the New World Order, and on and on the list grew. A new study done in 2020 titled The Phenomenology of Group Stalking, Gang Stalking, a Content Analysis of Subjective Experiences, said that while 2-4% of men and 8-16% of women in Western countries would be stalked by an individual at some point in their lives, more traditional stalking, Somewhere between 6 and 12% of those people claimed that their stalkers were multiple. Yet, there wasn't a lot of research into this idea. This is mainly due to the accepted idea that, that this is almost certainly a form of delusional, persecutory thinking. That 2015 study found that, while looking at two groups of stalking victims, 128 individual and 128 group stalking victims, only five of the 128 individually stalked people were found to be delusional, while all 128 of those who said they were victims of group stalking exhibited delusional thinking. A paper titled Mass Murder, Targeted Individuals and Gang Stalking, Exploring the Connection, published in 2018 in Violence and Gender, looked into instances when people who claimed that they were being gang stalked reacted in violent ways, suggesting perhaps the subject should be taken a bit more seriously by mainstream psychology because there are repercussions. We're talking about people like Gavin Long, a young man from Kansas City, Missouri, who picked up a case of PTSD while in Iraq near the end of his five years in the Marine Corps, but was denied treatment as his condition was not deemed to be directly related to his military service. Just before he went into the Marines, he'd picked up some of the TI narrative while in West Africa and joined a group whose aim was to help such people who the group said were subjected to, quote, remote brain experimentation, remote neural monitoring of an entire human's body, unquote. After his honorable discharge from the Marines, he would tell his mother the CIA was following him and he appeared on an online talk show about targeted individuals, insisting all his communications were being monitored, including that interview. He legally changed his name to Cosmo Setepenra, made a bunch of videos about black separatism and the sovereign citizen movement, said that the only successful revolutions are the armed ones, and self-published three books about black empowerment and manosphere stuff mixed with new age language, racial theory, and pseudoscience. He said germs were not the cause of illness, western medicine on the whole was all wrong, and black men were superior entities because of all that melanin in their skin. He was into survivalism, saying that only those with the necessary skills could ever help to defeat the American government. He called himself a, quote, freedom strategist, mental game coach, nutritionist, author, and spiritual advisor. When Alton Sterling, a 37-year-old black resident of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was shot and killed by police wrongfully, as the $4.5 million wrongful death settlement said, Long, or Cosmo, if you prefer, went to that city on his 29th birthday, July 17, 2016. He bought a handful of firearms, including an assault rifle, which he strapped around his back and walked around town with. Now, Louisiana has open carry laws, but this was still hmm, suspect, so the police were called. They caught up with him behind a beauty salon and a gunfight and chase ensued. 
Six minutes later, three police officers were dead and three more injured, as was Gavin Long, shot by a SWAT team that came onto the scene. As long-time listeners to this podcast will know, it is common for a person who becomes infected by one conspiracy idea to subsequently get infected by others. For Long, it was TI combined with sovereign citizen stuff and pseudomedicine. For others, they get infected with weirder stuff. Another paper, also published in 2020, found that people who report gang stalking also have a much higher frequency of subjective paranormal episodes than others, especially ghost sightings and hauntings. Many victims say they're suffering systematic, quote, psychotronic torture, which is caused by, quote, brain transmitters that either target the specific frequency of that person's brainwave patterns or maybe are even secretly implanted in their bodies after they've been rendered unconscious. They see black vans filled with men wearing sunglasses, sometimes think every single person they see on the street is a plant, part of some theatrical performance to fool them. They get voice-to-skull messages that gold objects are being used to focus witchcraft against them. Spontaneous enlargement of bodily organs occurs, and in one instance, a person claimed that their very nice family dog had been replaced with an exact duplicate, but this one was mean. And while most psychologists may be inclined to dismiss this all as delusion, which it almost certainly is, may be mixed with a sense of self-aggrandizement, as in, I'm so important that I'm the center of a coordinated conspiracy, it's clear from these people's videos and blogs and online manifestos that being a targeted individual is no fun at all. Just who are these people doing the stalking? Well, it depends. Some say it's a complex web of government agents, contractors, volunteer citizens, which is a wild thought, complicit family members called perps in TI jargon, and even former felons recruited by the nefarious them. Mental health professionals are also suspect, possibly even a part of it. But make no mistake, TIs will tell you, this is not some kind of prank or hazing ritual or even the work of just one or two people. The resources required to accomplish what is done clearly indicates that this is a massive conspiracy with perhaps unlimited, even magical-seeming capabilities. Often, these have to do with some crazy, advanced, yet secret technology. Take what happened to Chami Prague graduate of Syracuse Law School and member of the Wisconsin Bar who wrote a novel in 2013 called Cult of Mirrors about a law student who goes on the run from a supernatural cult that uses evil spirits. This was a fictionalized account of events she claimed happened to her in real life. So she followed that up in 2014 with How to Deal with and Defeat Gang Stalkers. But early drafts of this book were mysteriously deleted from her computer and previous versions suddenly developed formatting issues that effectively rendered them useless. This all happened despite precautions she had started taking. Who would have the ability to do something like that? Surely not her editor, Thomas Carney, who also writes nature essays and gay erotica stories. Anyway, she overcame these difficulties and got it self-published. The 2014 book does get some glowing reviews on Goodreads from people who say they are being gang-stalked. One reader, whose profile picture is her doing a namaste pose, you know, with the hands pressed together in front of her, compares these, quote, heartless evil criminals to those who persecuted Job in the Bible, but also then says, quote, gang stalkers are so stupid that they believe fake news spread by radio stations, social media, and beyond, and then disseminate the fake news. Yet another case 
of these conspiracy people are super sophisticated on the one hand, but totally dumb dumb heads on the other. Ms. Prague then decided to put herself on the ballot in 2016 for President of the United States, writing a book supporting and expanding on her views called Revolution in the United States, Slaves to Their Gods, all about how a Christian capitalist plutocracy is ruling the country and also why she is a big supporter of the Second Amendment. So, is she actually a person who thinks she is being gang-stalked or is she just using all of this to gain notoriety? As is so often the case, it is difficult to say, but she certainly helps spread the virus infecting others who come across her path. As researcher Lorraine Sheridan says, quote, the internet creates a sort of closed ideology echo chamber wherein people who share unusual beliefs reinforce each other's thinking. There is no counter argument within these groups. They are like minds. Using technology is also a big part of the subculture, for that is in fact what T.I. or gang stalking has become. There was a gang stalking wiki out there for a while, but the English language version is now gone. However, there is still one in Brazil, written in Portuguese. Link in the episode notes. But it's not very comprehensive. It only has 14 blog entries written over a two-month period and has not been updated since 2015. Still, the final entry attempts to succinctly list most of the symptoms of possibly being a TI, which provides us with a nice collection of TI jargon in the process. Frequent surveillance, sometimes becoming near constant using physical people as well as electronic devices such as long-distance microphones, tapped phones, GPS, and even hacking into the target's computers. An alarming increase in the number of red or white cars you see or sports cars. An increase in loud noises near the target. Monitoring and sometimes manipulation of the target's banking and other financial activities. Remote neural monitoring of brainwave patterns using sophisticated satellites. What is called Black NLP, a form of neurolinguistic programming, but, you know, evil. Organizational persecution. This is street theater in which all or most people in a public space are there to reinforce programming, anchoring certain feelings to certain words, colors, objects, and people, and create feelings of guilt or terror in the subject. Sometimes individuals will approach the target and insult them or say something no one else could know except that person, indicating that their mind has been read. Sometimes large groups of 20 or more will surround the target and stare at them with hateful expressions and then walk on as if nothing had happened. Programs appear on the television which it soon becomes apparent that the people on the TV are directly persecuting or gaslighting the target. Names of buildings and streets are inexplicably changed from what they once were. Everyone who says, no, that's always been the name of that building or street, is part of the gang stalking. Products the target previously enjoyed have suddenly been changed or are no longer as enjoyable as they once were. Strange coincidences occur, like you're thinking about a lion and then you see a poster with a lion on it while riding the train. Placing contaminated foods in markets the target frequents or in the target's home. Use of social forms of control to isolate the TI, creating a hostile work environment and using rumors and planted false evidence to distance friends and family from the target. Fabricating evidence so any authorities not in on the gang stalking cannot investigate. False public rumors and even evidence of false crimes might be part of this. Inducing symptoms that look just like mental illness or substance abuse or hormonal imbalance or dementia. 
instances of V2K, which stands for voice to skull, also called the microwave auditory effect, also the fray effect, in which people will sometimes hear audible clicks and even coherent speech when subjected to pulsed or modulated radio frequencies. This is a real thing, but in the TI mythology, it's all being done on purpose. TI people also call it artificial telepathy and say it is an interrogation technique commonly used by the CIA. There's also a less obvious version of the previous entry called synthetic silent telepathy. You know that this is happening to you if a thought occurs to you again and again and again, seemingly of its own volition. Thought control and control of thought patterns, probably using trigger words combined with low-frequency waves from nearby radio towers, possibly implanted by hypnosis. Targeted physical pains, including spinal pain, headaches, brain cooking, which alters emotions by targeting the hypothalamus at 6.66 Hz ELF waves. Chest pains, brain seizures, heart problems, irritated eyes, honestly, pretty much anything. The sniffles. Also control of a person's emotions, sometimes control of their facial expressions, and even total control over their bodily movements. Weird urges to go to certain places, even places new to the target. And targeted forgetfulness, like going to the store, but then buying a bunch of things, but not the thing you went to the store for in the first place. And so and so on, it goes on. 60% of TI victims are women, says the wiki, and 98% of the men are gay, but also, it says, quote, proud men with high self-esteem attract this type of harassment. So out of the closet, proud gay men, I guess, at least in Brazil. We gonna, we gonna rock, rock down, down to, to Electric, Electric Avenue. Avenue. Jesus, could I sound whiter? Apologies to Guyanese British singer and multi-instrumentalist Eddie Grant, who released the original song on his 1982 album, Killer on the Rampage. Electronic devices of an esoteric nature are often the culprits here, say those who claim to be stalked, causing the myriad of phenomena and symptoms. Maybe you hear voices or sounds like ringing or a knock on the door, but there's nobody there. Some events might be regular, like you get a headache at the same time every day or every Friday or whatever. Maybe you see things, including one entry that says, you see edges everywhere. I don't actually know what that means. Or maybe you wake up at exactly the same time every day, but like a weird time, like 1.27 in the morning. Speaking of sleep, both sleeping a lot and sleeping hardly at all could be signs that you are being interfered with. Before drifting off, you might see blue and red spots. This could indicate that they are about to control your dreams. Other signs of being stalked could be that your dreams take place inside of rectangular rooms with no windows. You dream of having a headache. You get sensations like bee stings. You dream about people who you've never seen before or about family members who insult you. You never dream about your hobbies or about sex. Or what about so-called electronic rapes in which the targeted dreamer is subjected to horrors in their own dreams. You might get sleep paralysis, which is when you wake up but your body is still unable to move. During waking time, you might find yourself zoning out, losing all awareness of your surroundings for a moment or two. These are called microcomas. Sometimes things from dreams might creep into memory during waking hours, like you remember something you read in a letter, but there is no letter and there never was. It was a dream. These are called ejected memories in TI jargon. Or you have a great idea or insight and then poof, just like that, it's gone and you cannot recall it. This is called an erased memory. 
Because it's not just dreams they infiltrate, but all parts of your mind. Maybe you get an earworm, a song that you just can't get out of your head, and you sing along to it, but in your mind, the pitch keeps dropping lower and lower and lower until it is impossible for you to sing along. I'm not kidding. That's actually one of the symptoms. Maybe you try to be funny, but no one thinks what you said was funny. This could be a sign that what you think you did and what you actually did do not correspond because your mind is being manipulated. Oh, and also, batteries drain very quickly around you. Much of all this sounds like stuff that happens to all of us when we get older. Some of it sounds like what socially awkward people and introverts go through. And more than a little of it sounds like a neurological disorder or even straight-up schizophrenia. Except for the batteries thing. It certainly wouldn't be a very nice life if just a quarter of this stuff happened to you on any kind of a regular basis. And sometimes people who think this is happening to them have an extreme reaction. Like the man who held three people hostage in a bank, also in Louisiana in 2013, claiming his ex-girlfriend's family had put a, quote, microphone device in his head. He killed two of the hostages and himself. He was posthumously diagnosed based on his writings and interviews with people who knew him with paranoid schizophrenia. Or the former Navy man turned contractor who thought he was being influenced by extremely low-frequency electromagnetic waves almost non-stop for three months. So he wrote my ELF weapon on a shotgun and then went to the Washington Navy Yard outside D.C. where he killed 12 people and injured three more before being shot by police. Or the South African man in October 2021 who killed a taxi driver in Hong Kong because he had finally broken under the stress of more than six years of V2K electronic harassment and microwave brainwashing. I include that last one because, see, it's not only Americans. However, it is mainly Americans. Of all the many, many problems in the U.S., one of its biggest ones is apparently a mental health problem. But as I said, it's not just Americans. In Japan, there's a whole horror subgenre in manga and anime called Denpa-san, which means electromagnetic wave, and describes a real phenomenon in that country wherein people think they're being brainwashed by electronic signals. The term came about after a series of 1981 knife attacks in the Fukagawa district in Tokyo's Koto Ward that killed four people. The perpetrator claimed he was being influenced by electromagnetic waves. The term soon took off being used to describe weird, creepy people who claimed to be getting telepathic signals. It then transferred to books and comics and even a strange musical form that combines happy hardcore and bubblegum Eurodance with elements of cringe pop that is just called Denpa. As is so often the case, Japan is ahead of the curve. As I said, that was back in 1981. However, Japan is really very much its own weird thing. All this gang-stalking stuff mainly happens in the U.S., with the U.K. coming in second and Australia coming in third place for reports. Some targeted individuals report a thing called electromagnetic hypersensitivity. This is essentially an allergy to electromagnetic waves, which means they cannot be around any electronic devices without experiencing headaches, fatigue, burning or prickling sensations, nausea, aches, and sharp pains like the character of Chuck McGill in the early seasons of the TV series Better Call Saul, mentioned in our previous episode about Morgellons. This condition, abbreviated to EHS, is reported all over the world, always self-diagnosed, and every single attempt to verify it has failed. 
EHS started showing up around 1997 when the European Commission asked for a scientific group to be assembled to investigate claims from the public about these symptoms being reported by European citizens, mainly in the UK, Ireland, France, Italy, Denmark, and Sweden. The main culprit, said claimants, was their computer monitors. This is before the advent of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth or even before 3G. Not their TVs, mind you, just the computer monitors, even though they're basically the same technology. The study was conducted and found that less than 1% of the population were claiming this problem, so it was almost certainly delusional, perhaps some fear of the new or sort of subconscious psychological luditism. But as more tech infiltrated our lives, more people began claiming EHS. A British study in 2007 found 4% of people in a randomly selected group of 20,000 said that they had symptoms of it. A similar study the same year in Taiwan found an instance of EHS claims in 13% of the population. Two years later, studies in Germany and the Netherlands found 10 and 7% respectively. Interestingly, follow-up studies were conducted later and found EHS claims had dropped by 2013. They dropped from 13% to 5% in Taiwan, 10 to 7% in Germany, and 7 to 4% in the Netherlands. Also, women outnumbered men in EHS claims by almost 2 to 1. Many experiments were conducted and it was found that in almost 100% of the cases, subjects were unable to tell if a particular electronic device was switched on or off or present in the room without their prior knowledge. In 2010, residents in a town in South Africa made numerous complaints to the authorities that their new cell tower was causing them physical distress. When it was explained to them that this was not possible because it had been turned off for the past six weeks, the residents did not believe the authorities, which fueled sinister speculations. Some people have taken steps even more drastic than just complaining. A man in New Mexico in 2012 sued his neighbor for bombarding him with EMF radiation by using a cordless phone, Wi-Fi, and dimmer switches. He had previously asked the neighbor to stop using all these devices, and obviously the neighbor refused. Parents of a Massachusetts child brought a suit against their child's school, saying that their Wi-Fi there was causing physical illness. Both cases were tossed out. And of course, the kings and queens of quackdom are always ready to make a buck trying to sell this cure or that one for EHS, including massive amounts of vitamin C, enzyme supplements, concoctions to balance one's intestines or remove trace metals from the body, IV nutrient drips, and so on. Yet to sufferers, it all seems very real, and their suffering is real. As said in the episode about Morgellons, though the cause may be in the person's head, they don't know that. It's thought that the suicide by hanging of 15-year-old Jenny Fry in Oxfordshire in 2015 was because she had, quote, Wi-Fi allergy that she'd been suffering from for three years. Or so the press said, trumping up a juicy scare story backed up by her parents who seemed to be true believers. They'd even gone so far as to remove Wi-Fi from their home and there were no Wi-Fi stations near their home and yet Jenny continued to suffer symptoms. Clearly, said medical professionals, this was an undiagnosed case of depression that continued to be undiagnosed because her parents had completely bought into the whole EHS thing. That was the cause, and there could be no other cause in their minds. Even well-known people are not immune to delusional EHS claims. A personage no less than the former Prime Minister of Norway and Director General of the WHO, Gro Harlem Brundtland, claimed in 2015 that she'd been an EHS sufferer, getting headaches whenever a person used a mobile phone near her, and that this had been going on for 25 years, so since 1990, pre-mobile phone days. 
In Sweden, some towns and cities take a better safe than sorry approach and give disability grant money to people who claim to have EHS. In the United States, many EHS sufferers have moved to a 13,000 square mile area in the Blue Ridge and Allegheny Mountains where the states of Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland all meet because this is the NRQZ or National Radio Quiet Zone. This is an area where all radio signals are greatly reduced as is all other electromagnetic radiation. Cell phones, Wi-Fi routers, even microwave ovens are frowned upon. And this is because the Green Bank Observatory stands in the direct center of this area. And the U.S. Navy's Information Operations Command, NIOC, is nearby at Sugar Grove, and they don't want interference. Incidentally, NIOC is said to be the hub of operations for the NSA's Echelon Program, part of the International Five Eyes Surveillance System that also includes the U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. This has been used for dodgy activities post-Cold War. With such a large concentration of EHS people in one area, more studies have been conducted about their electromagnetic sensitivity, and the conclusions are that, well, it's just not a real thing, meaning that there is no external cause to the symptoms being described. It's probably all caused by what's known as the nocebo effect. We all know the term placebo, a treatment, usually a pill that has no therapeutic value. Sugar pills is what most of us know about, but which is given to the patient anyway in order to encourage that person's body to start releasing natural pain-relieving chemicals. Placebos have been found to be surprisingly effective even when the patient is directly told that they're being given something that is not actually medicine. It seems the very cycle of ailment, doctor visit, take pill is enough to trick the mind-body system into doing what it should have been doing all along. The nocebo effect is sort of the opposite. A negative effect is expected, and so what happens is negative. Like, I think I'm allergic to Wi-Fi, so whenever I'm around Wi-Fi, I get sick. The mind-body system responds to the expectation and delivers, often resulting in actual physical symptoms. This is one reason why some doctors shy away from telling a patient of potential negative side effects of a medication that they're being given. They worry the nocebo effect will then cause those symptoms to manifest to some extent. So for most medical professionals, EHS is a form of the nocebo effect. But some targeted individuals claim that because they've been bombarded with electronic devices for so long, they have developed EHS. Often they get this into their heads after reading about it on, where else, the internet, which is run by electricity. So one delusion breeds another delusion. Dun Dun Banza. That's a 1950 song by the great Cuban musician Arsenio Rodriguez, who went blind in childhood when a mule kicked him in the head. As so often happens when delusions collide together, they find affinity and resonance with others who either believe the same thing themselves or are trolling or are exploiting the sufferers for notoriety and a fast buck. And since the conspiracy mind is one made of narratives, the narratives grow and combine to create larger overarching narratives that can encompass many, many things. Whoever they are, they have amazing resources at their disposal, which means, logically, that this is a vast conspiracy targeting a handful of seemingly everyday citizens for some large-scale purpose or another. Since it's being done in secret, it must be nefarious and evil. 
And as we've seen, this can then motivate some people to fight back in the only ways that they know how. You have noted a lot of the supposed signs of being a TI involve some kind of mind control. Why this must come from government programs like DARPA's Project Pandora. Pandora was developed in the aftermath of an event that started in 1953, but went on until 1976, known as the Moscow Signal Incident, in which the Soviets directed microwaves between 2.5 and 4 gigahertz at the American embassy. The Americans did not know what the heck was going on at the time, though it's now thought that this was probably some attempt at espionage. But back in the day, one theory was that it was intended to cause harm to the occupants of the building or maybe even an attempt at some kind of mind control. So DARPA started Pandora to look into the effects of microwave radiation on biology and behavior. This was typical of U.S. Cold War strategic thinking. They think of crazy scenarios, then they get worried that it might be true, then they take steps to counter the imaginary threat. Seems like a pretty conspiratorial mindset, frankly. Anyway, Pandora didn't pan out. Fueled by back-channel rumors of Soviet attempts to create a weapon that attacked soldiers' minds throughout the early and mid-1980s, in 1987, the Army Research Institute asked the National Academy of Sciences to write a report on psychotronics, the field of using directed energy weapons to degrade or enhance human health. A main source of the rumors had come from Czech scientist Zdeněk Radak, who totally believed psychotronics was a physical science, organized conferences on the subject, and became head of the International Association for Psychotronic Research. However, the Americans did not know that in the Eastern Bloc, the word parapsychology had been replaced by the word psychotronics. So when reports came out of Checo about work being done on psychotronics, the Yanks assumed it meant using energy weapons, even though actually it was about things like ghosts and ESP and stuff like that. This is also classic Cold War shenanigans. I mean, did they not have anybody who spoke Czech? Anyway, the report talked of hypothetical weapons, really just thought experiments, like something they called, quote, a hyperspatial nuclear howitzer. It also addressed pervasive rumors that an increase in Legionnaire's disease, a type of atypical pneumonia caused by the Legionella bacteria, was caused by Soviet-directed energy weapons, as was the sinking of the nuclear-powered attack submarine, the USS Thresher, off the coast of Maine back in 1963, which actually sank due to bad joint brazing in the saltwater piping system. The report concluded that these and similar rumors were nonsense. Well, spies are everywhere, and the Soviets soon got word that the Americans thought they had some sort of energy weapons, which made the Soviets think that maybe the Americans were busy developing energy weapons themselves, and a chunk of Russians in the know also thought, hey, yeah, you know what, maybe we actually do have those weapons. After the fall of the USSR, a group of military personnel calling themselves victims of psychotronic experimentation tried suing the FSB, which is what the KGB became, for violating their civil liberties because they had been experimented upon without their consent by the Soviet state who used chemicals in their water, magnets, and, quote, beaming rays to alter their minds. It came out that there had been some serious but super secret research into this stuff in the early 1990s in the last days of the Soviet Union, but nothing had ever come of it. However, Russia has always been fertile ground for conspiracy theories, so no surprise that this sort of thing cropped up there, even after the fall of the USSR. Vladimir Putin and his defense minister Anatoly Serdyukov wrote up some proposals for developing psychotronic weapons in the American sense in 2012, but again, there's no evidence 
that anything of the kind got much further than just documents. But then the idea bounced back to the U.S. with a former case officer and the employee of the NSA claiming that a rare form of Parkinson's disease that he'd started developing in 2006 when he was only 45 years old and which forced him into retirement 10 years later came from microwave weapon attacks used against him when he was abroad on a mission, quote, in a hostile country in 1996. During his workers' comp case, he claimed the authorities had known such weapons were in said country, prompting them to declassify some documents. The NSA says they looked into it but have found no evidence Beck had been attacked by any kind of microwave weapon. This all came out to the public during the furor over what's known as Havana Syndrome, which first showed up in 2016. Personnel at the U.S. and Canadian embassies in Cuba began reporting a number of symptoms, some mild, like tinnitus or ringing in the ears, up through physical aches and pains, and even difficulty remembering things or sometimes even thinking. The next year, people stationed in China, India, various European locations, and even in Washington, D.C., started reporting similar difficulties, as did some of their family members. Some initial inquiries were made, but as with so many other things during the Trump administration, they got shelved. But some people kept looking into it on their own time just the same, especially in the last years of Trump's time in office when he was distracted by whatever phantoms were haunting him that day or this. The State Department called them, quote, unexplained health incidents, but the CIA called them, quote, attacks. Because if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Lots of people looked into it, and in December 2020, the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine said they thought the most plausible explanation was a directed RF pulse energy device, but it could also be down to pesticides or the use of ultrasound or maybe even just kind of mass hysteria. Despite this rather inconclusive conclusion, the intelligence services decided in 2021 it was all probably being done on purpose by Russia. But then the CIA said in January this year that Havana Syndrome was probably not the result of, quote, a sustained global campaign by a hostile power. All this stuff stretching back 60 years or more is all publicly available, and all this stuff just adds fuel to the narratives that TIs are weaving. Plus, obviously, something is going on with Havana Syndrome, but what exactly? Well, the jury is clearly still out. What did you dream? It's all right, we told you what to dream. That's a lyric from the 1975 Pink Floyd song, Welcome to the Machine. In the early 1790s, London tea broker James Tilly Matthews traveled on behalf of the British Crown to France to try and make peace between the Girodins, a loose faction of the French Revolution, and the French government. The Jacobins, who took a harder line, booted out the Girodins, and Matthews found himself in hot water, arrested and imprisoned for three years while the terror raged outside the walls of his cell. While in there, continually terrorized by the ever-present sound of the falling guillotine, he lost his sanity. In 1796, the new French authorities finally released him back to England, diagnosing him as a lunatic. Upon returning home, he wrote a letter to the Home Secretary accusing him of treason and conspiring against him, James Dilly Matthews. He caused a disturbance during a House of Commons debate. He was watching from the public gallery, which got him arrested. And after he rambled for a long, long while about people high up in the British government conspiring against him, he was committed to Bethlehem Hospital, better known as Bedlam. His family finally managed to get him released in 1809 after 12 years inside. 
While professionals at Bedlam said Matthews was probably not safe to return to society, his family insisted he was fine now. A man at Bedlam named John Haslam wrote a book about Matthews in an effort to prove his sanity. As was the practice at the time, the title was a real doozy. To wit, Illustrations of Madness, Exhibiting a Singular Case of Insanity and No Less Remarkable Difference in Medical Opinions, Developing the Nature of an Assailant and the Manner of Working Events, with a Description of Tortures Experienced by Bomb Bursting, Lobster Cracking, and Lengthening the Brain, Embellished with a Curious Plate. Whew! Most people today just call it Illustrations of Madness. And the book is considered to be the very first study of a single psychiatric patient and the first description ever of paranoid schizophrenia, which is almost certainly what Matthews was suffering from. Matthew described how fluids had been inserted into his skull in what he called stomach skinning and, quote, apoplexy working with the nutmeg grater and his being bombarded by invisible rays that he called lobster cracking, during which his blood circulation would be interrupted using magnetic fields. These rays came from a nefarious machine he called the Heirloom, which was run by a rogues gallery of evildoers with names like The Middleman, The Glove Woman, and Sir Archie, all directed by their leader, sometimes known as the King, and sometimes simply as Bill. Matthews went on to say there were multiple gangs all over London wielding heirlooms, attacking not only him but key government people. After the victims had been, quote, pre-magnetized with a, quote, volatile magnetic fluid by, quote, pneumatic practitioners, their thoughts could be read and even influenced. He even drew more than 46 pages of illustrations of these terrible heirloom machines and other nefarious devices which he had seen with his own eyes. So, contrary to intent, the book did not, in fact, prove Matthews was all sane now, quite the opposite. A few years later, he was placed in a private asylum in the Hackney District of London where he spent his time gardening and being sociable with other patients and eventually becoming the bookkeeper for the institution. It would seem that something about his change in surroundings was just the tonic he needed. Mr. Fox, who ran the asylum, said he thought Matthews was sane in the months before he died in January 1815. It would seem that whatever they were doing as treatment at Bedlam just wasn't doing all that much good, and the House of Commons formed a committee to look into madhouse practices, which led to sweeping reforms at Bedlam. So, a happy ending, sort of, to a tragic tale. A former student of Freud, Victor Tausk, wrote an article in 1919 titled On the Origin of the Influencing Machine in Schizophrenia, which looked at the case of Matthews, as well as later cases of patients diagnosed with schizophrenia and the paranoid delusions that often accompany that illness. Very often, Tausk found, there is some sort of, quote, diabolical machine being used to cause them pain and influence their minds and even their bodies. This machine, while technological, also seems to have what we might term mystical or magical abilities beyond the realm of any machine commonly known about at the time. These include machines which could cause visions in the patient, remove or create thoughts, and cause weird feelings in the bodies. And usually the persecution was being directed by the doctor who was assigned to help them. This article was a big sensation in Europe, and when it was finally translated into English in 1933, it spurred more research in the United States and England into persecutory paranoid delusions in schizophrenics and the eerily similar things they reported. It was almost as if they were all getting access to an actual, real, consistent other world. Which, of course, is clearly not the case, but might tell us some things about the deep structures of the human mind. 
Eventually, some of this filtered down through the soil of time into the sump of popular culture. Advertising man turned environmental activist Jerry Mander, yes, his real name, said in his 1978 book, Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television, quote, Doubtless you have noticed that this influencing machine sounds an awful lot like television. In any event, there is no question that television does what the schizophrenic fantasy says it does. It places in our minds images of reality which are outside our experience. The picture comes in the form of rays from a box. They cause changes in feeling and utter confusion as to what is real and what is not. This was not an uncommon concern about television in its early days, that it would confuse people as to what is and is not real, as if we're all too stupid to make a reasonable distinction between what we experience with our five senses and what we see on a small screen made of tiny electronically induced dots. Similar arguments have been made about radio when it first came out in the early 20th century and before that about novels. Critics said people would confuse the events in them with newspaper stories and be unable to separate fact from fantasy. Jerry Mander's book came during a time of resurgence of anti-television feeling among the smart set because color televisions had started to become more commonplace in the late 60s and through the 1970s. I mean, same as it ever was. I'm sure Og got in trouble back in caveman days when he started painting on cave walls and Gog and others were worried about the impact that this would have on people's perceptions. And yet, perhaps there is something to these warnings. Oh, not that people are too stupid to differentiate between a plucky hobbit traveling on foot into the land of Mordor to destroy the ring of power in a volcano and the local news headlines, or between Star Trek and the nightly news. But today, with people connected via the web and mobile devices, one of the key issues of the times is exactly this problem of fake news, falsified photos, deepfake videos, even fake job offers for keeping the unsuspecting off-balance and distrustful and maybe even make some scratch off their confusion and gullibility. And then there are those who wish to simply legitimize the narrative that has infected them. In the case of targeted individuals, anything and everything can be used as fuel to fan the flames. MKUltra and other real-life attempts to create viable mind control programs are added to the proof kindling. Movies like They Live seem to point to a larger truth. Various red pill websites offer answers to burning questions. And BS companies like Q-Wave LLC, that's Q-U-W-A-V-E, who sell products such as their Q-Wave Defender that can protect you from, quote, ELF, HARP, implants, microwave, V2K, and psychic attacks, converts electronic and psychic attacks to positive energy. They do this by using, they say, scalar fields and solfeggio waves. For a mere $326.70, you can get a portable personal model, and for $548.90, a tabletop version that creates a safety field of protection. Both of these items are, by the way, available on Amazon. Ironically, these devices need to be plugged in, so if you also think you suffer from EHS, I guess you're SOL on the ELF and V2K protection thing. After all, if a person really is experiencing some of the weird and highly unpleasant symptoms listed earlier in this episode, what are the chances they're going to look up to see that scalar fields, which is one of the magical things these devices use, are really just mathematical models used by physicists, and solfeggio waves are certain sound frequencies that New Agers say cleanse people of negative energies, can be used to reprogram your DNA and other pseudoscientific gibberish. Oh yeah, say true believers? Well, maybe it's true. We don't know everything. Well, I do know this, that if I could reprogram my DNA using sound waves, I would be doing it. Speaking of sound, we haven't even gotten into the whole sound weapon bit 
of the targeted individual grand narrative, nor have we touched upon the subset of the culture that says aliens implanted me with a device of some sort. I'm afraid these will have to wait for future episodes because I'm out of time. As very often happens when I sit down and start to do a little research into an episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse, I found out there is a lot more on the subject of gang stalking and targeted individuals than I had previously thought. I highly recommend the pretty comprehensive page on Rational Wiki. Link to that and other helpful websites in the episode notes for this episode. And you can see related videos in the dedicated playlist on our YouTube channel. And if you know someone who is suffering from TI syndrome, let's call it, even just a little bit of it, it is very possible that they are either undergoing a psychotic break or maybe even have schizophrenia. As such, they deserve your empathy and your support and get them to some professionals as soon as possible. Yes, they will resist because they think that what they're perceiving is real. But even having the option of some professional intervention might be enough to stave off the worst impulses a few TIs develop, like when they go on a rampage that injures or kills others, and probably themselves as well. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy clearing house we're closing now but we'll open another crate in the next episode until then thank you for listening